podcast post. Get your tickets. $10 a show. Flatback Classic Community Radio does it, then. Hello, and congratulations on this This fine recording is a combination of material. Some recorded live at the Troubadour in Los Angeles, some recorded elsewhere. The last part of this album is called Comedy Minus Two. This is where you have the chance to become the comedian or comedian and get the laugh. But more about that later. I would like to say... During the live portion of this record, nobody has been altered in any way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, I have with me here a Notary Republic who will swear to this fact. You're a Notary Republic, Jerry, and you swear to this fact. Well, that's just about it. Oh, yes. When you hear the yodel, you turn the record over. So, without wasting any more time, let's go now to the Troubadour. Well, wait. Let's waste just a little more time. Let's go now to the Troubadour. We join me in progress. There's mics all around here. There's a recording truck outside. Uh, A record is being made. There's nothing you have to worry about. Just, you know, have a good time. Uh, I... Just don't identify your I'm laughter. A lot of people my like wife to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Said Bill Harrison of Phoenix. <laughs> By the way, you know, this room is full, and I might say that there's a camera up there right now. There's a Jewish audience in the Wilshire Ebell Theater watching this. They do that on high holidays when the temple fills up, they move into theaters. They never take off the titles of the theater and thousands of Jews walk out of deep throat. They ought to change the title. This is the... uh, For the last eight months, the performing I've done has has been uh, as a headliner. I have closed the show. Opening is another story. Neil Diamond was the first person that I ever opened for at all. I had done television before that, but never any live performing. Only dead performing. I met him at a college four years ago or so in Mississippi. I, I didn't meet him till the actual show. I was met by the student by the president who picked me up at the airport. He was a young man. You're the comedian. more about this subject than a mother. We had Al Cap here last night. How to be a Jewish He's a witty guy. Properly practiced, Jewish motherhood is an art, a complex network of subtle and highly sophisticated techniques. Absolutely. Master these techniques and you will be an unqualified Uh, success, the envy of your friends and the backbone of your family. Watch the man price his way right out of the business. It, it was getting strange there towards the end. He would perform, then the owner of the building would come and give him the deed to the building. <laughs> you own this, and this is my house, and this is my car. Thank you, Mr. Donovan. Ride away on a bike.
but no real bad experiences. Once in a while, I'd be in the middle of my How to pay a compliment. Now, paying compliments is not generally recommended because it either embarrasses people or gives them a swelled head. It is permissible, however, to pay a compliment in an emergency, thus. Florence, what have you done to your hair? It looks like you're wearing a wig. I am. All my hair fell out.
peacock horse to Banbury Cross to see a fine lady upon a fine horse. Rings on her fingers and bells on her toes. So she shall have music wherever she goes. Ride a cock horse. Sure, you all know it. But just what is the story behind it? It seems that in the town of Banbury, England, there stood a very elaborate cross made of stone in the marketplace. Leading into the town was a very steep hill, and in order for any coach to get to the town of Banbury, they first had to stop at the bottom of the hill to add another very strong horse to help pull the coach up the hill. This high-spirited horse was always gaily decorated and was called the cockpit. The townspeople were very But before very long, the coach lost a wheel. The queen, not to disappoint the townspeople of Banbury, climbed down from the broken coach and mounted the ribboned cock horse, then rode into Banbury to see the cross on a fine horse with rings on her fingers, bells on her toes, and the town musicians played lively music to welcome their queen. Ride a cock horse to Banbury Cross To see a fine lady upon a fine horse Rings on her fingers and bells on her toes So she shall have music wherever she goes All right, it's time for another kooky, crazy call. Another kooky, crazy call is a copyrighted feature. And this time, we're calling a pet store. I'm going to disguise my voice and attempt to purchase ten parakeets. Let's see what happens. Yes, uh, do you, uh, do you sell parakeets, uh, there? Yes, we do. Uh-huh, uh, excuse me, uh, how many do you have? I think we have seven or eight at the present time. Uh, uh-huh, well, I'm, I'm going to, uh, need to take ten. Well, we have another store in the area. I see, in other words, you'd have to go to another, another store then, huh? Yes, we would. Okay, well, let me think about it, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get back to you later. Okay, thank you. <laughs> 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 
Flat Black Blazic, Mutiny Radio, Dot FM, uh, Albert Brooks would like you to adjust your amplifier, please. Sure, first, adjust your amplifier accordingly.
When the circus came to town, we managed to shake out of sleep at four o'clock in the morning, grab a slice of bread and butter, and make a fast walk to the CB&Q railroad yards to watch the unloading in early daylight. A grand, clear voice the man had who rode his horse a half a block ahead of the elephants in the parade and cried out as though there might be hell to pay. The elephants are coming, watch your horses. First to one side of the street and then the other, he cried it, and those who had skittish horses watched them. After the unloading in the morning, we went home for a quick breakfast and a run to the circus grounds, a big pasture of Maine and Farnham near the city limits. If we were lucky, we got jobs at carrying water for the elephants or lugging to the big tent the board for the audience to sit on. After three or four hours of this useful and necessary work, we were presented with slips of paper that let us in to see the people in the afternoon. If we hadn't been lucky, or if we didn't have the fifty cents for a ticket, we tried to slide under the canvas and crawl to where we could peek through the boards and between legs to see the grand march, the acrobats, the trapezists, the clowns, the hippodrome chariot race, given before our eyes as it was in the time of Nero in Rome. Once, as I was nearly through the canvas, a pair of strong hands caught me by the ankles, yanked me out, and threw me for a fall and a voice told me I could get the hell out of there. I walked around to the sideshow. There, out front, as a free show, I saw the man with the elastic skin. He would pull it out from his face and neck, and it would snap back into place. There I saw the tattooed man with fish, birds, brunette girls, ships, and many other shapes, inked deep into his skin. And there, too, the oriental dancing girl, wearing few clothes and smiling about it to some giggling farmhands. The Spieler, a man with a thick, upcurled mustache, leaned toward the farmhands and said in a voice as if for them only to hear, Go inside, boys. Get inside. You can't lose. She takes off everything, every last stitch, and her muscles shake like a bowl of jelly. She makes a sick man feel like a wild monkey. What did you come here for, boy? She's got it. You can't lose. Then the spieler dropped his confidential way and turned to the main crowd and let go in a smooth, loud voice. You could tell he was used to what he was saying and he had spoken the same words in the same way a thousand times. Ladies and gentlemen, beneath yon canvas we have the curiosities and the monstrosities the wild man of Borneo, the smallest dwarf ever seen of mankind, and the tallest giant that ever came into existence. The most marvelous snake ever brought to your city. A man-eating python captured in the darkest jungles of Africa ever penetrated by man. And I would call your particular attention to Jojo the dog-faced boy born 40 miles from land and 40 miles from sea. At this last, you couldn't be sure, but he was taking a laugh inside of himself, for his eyes twinkled. Us kids did imitations of him, and when trying to rattle a pitcher or a batter, we would fall. Beneath yon canvas, we have the curiosities and the monstrosities. Or, look who's to bat. 
Jojo, Joe the dog-faced boy, born 40 miles from land and 40 miles from sea. And we learned, too, from the spieler, the barker, about the dime. The price of admission, ladies and gentlemen, is a dime. Ten cents only, the tenth part of a dollar. Buy your tickets now before the big rush comes. Don't crowd there, boys, don't crowd. I had a dime and a nickel in my pocket. With the dime, the tenth part of a dollar, I bought a ticket. I went in and heard the ventriloquist and his dummy. Will you spell a word for me, Danny? I'll try. What's the word? Constantinople. Why do you tell me you can't stand on an apple? I saw the wild man of Borneo, and I could say he was a sad little shrimp and his whiskers messy. The fat woman, the dwarf, the giant, they seemed to be mistakes God had made. That God was absent-minded when he shaped them. I hung around the midget and his wife, watched them sign their names to photographs they sold at 10 cents. And they were that pleasant and witty that I saw I had guessed wrong about them. And they were having more fun out of life than some of the men in the queue railroad shops. I stood a long while watching the giant and noticed that he was quiet and satisfied about things and he didn't care one way or another where the people looked at him. He was so easy and calm about the way things were going that he reminded me of a big horse that didn't have to work and eats regular and never buys patent medicines. If a smarty asked, how's the weather up there? He might lift one eyebrow and let it pass, for he had heard it often enough. Nor did I feel sorry for the python. He may have been a man-eater, but he was sleeping as if he had forgotten whoever it was he had swallowed and digested. After a third or fourth time around, the only one I felt sorry for was the wild man of Borneo. He could have been the only lonely creature among all the freaks. The oriental dancing girl certainly was no freak. An average good-looking showgirl, somewhat dark of skin and probably a gypsy. She twirled, she high-kicked, did a few mild wiggles, and when it was over I heard a farmhand saying, It's a sell. I thought from the way he talked outside that we was going to see a belly dance. Another farmhand saying, yeah, she didn't take a stitch off. It's a sell. Years later it came over me that at first sight of the freaks I was sad because I was bashful. Except at home and among playmates, it didn't come easy for me to be looked at. I didn't like the feel of eyes being laid on me. I would pass people on the street and when they had gone by, I would wonder if they had turned their heads for another look at me. Walking down a church aisle between hundreds of people, I had a feeling of eyes on me. If three or four men stood in front of a store when I came along and one of them made some remark like, better hurry, kid, you're late. Or, does your mother know you're out, son? I didn't have the answers and walked on with the feeling their eyes were on me. This was silly, but when you're bashful, you have that feeling of eyes following you and boring through you. And there at the sideshow were these people, the freaks. And the business, the work of each of them, was to be looked at. 
Every week, day by day, they sat or stood up to be looked at by thousands of people, and they were paid to be looked at. If some one of them was more looked at than any others, there was danger of jealousy on the part of those who didn't get looked at as much as they wished. Only the wild man of Borneo and the python seemed to be careless about whether anyone looked at them or not. I walked out of the side show with my nickel still in my pocket. I passed the cane stand where a man held out rings and spoke like his tongue was oiled. Only ten cents for a ring and the cane you ring is the cane you get. I watched fellows throw one ring and quit. One stubborn farm hand paid 30 cents for rings and didn't get a cane and left. He didn't want a cane anyhow. I walked on and later came back and the man with the oily tongue was still calling out. Only 10 cents for a ring and the cane you ring is the cane you get. Now I saw a man ring a cane and look at it from end to end and left. I suppose maybe it's worth 10 cents. I stopped where a man was cheerfully calling with no let up. Lemonade, ice cold lemonade, a nice, cool, refreshing drink for a nickel, five cents, the twentieth part of a dollar. Then in a lower tone, as if talking to himself, lemonade made in the shade and stirred with a rusty spade. I passed by him to hear a laughing voice. Here's where you get your hot roasted peanuts, those big double-jointed humpback peanuts, five a sack. I passed him by and still had my nickel. Then I came to a man sitting on the ground, a deep-chested man with a face that had quiet on it and wouldn't bawl at you. I noticed he was barefoot. I looked up from his bare feet to see his arms gone, only stumps of arms at his shoulders. Between the first two toes of his right foot, he held a card and lifted it toward me and said, Take it and read it. I read a perfect handwriting. Every letter shaped smooth and nice. It said, I can write your name for you on a card for you to keep. The charge is only ten cents. I looked into his face. I said, I would if I had the ten cents. All I've got is a nickel. I took out the nickel and turned my pockets inside out and showed him that besides the nickel there was only a knife, a piece of string, and a buckeye. He took the nickel in his left foot, put a pen between the first two toes of his right foot, and on the card wrote, Charles A. Sandberg. Lifted the foot up toward me, and I took the card. I looked at it. It was the prettiest my name had ever been written. His face didn't change. All the time it kept that quiet look that strictly didn't belong with the circus. I was near crying. I said some kind of thanks and picked up my feet and ran.
nice old lady who had a wonderful way of pastry. Dame, get up and bake your pies, bake your pies, bake your pies. Dame, get up and bake your pies on Christmas Day in the morning. Higher than a house, higher than a tree. My, oh my, ever can it be? I think you already know the answer to that one. It's a star in the sky. Lesson seven, the Jewish mother's guide to sex and marriage. There are only two things a Jewish mother needs to know about sex and
Black Black Plastic Mutiny Radio dot FM around the ring, if he has done well, and receives one or two ears, or even a tail or hoof, if he has done very well. trumpet for the next bull, and the crowd's excitement mounts again. Should be confused, but we were—I've been married more, more than once. In fact, I've been married three, three times. But my first two wives each died a very tra- tragic death. My first wife died from eating po- poison mushrooms, and my second wife died from a fra- fractured skull. She wouldn't eat her mushrooms.
she would correct me. I think correctly, I'd say, I think I wish she were here with with me. It's kind of nice to have your wife with you, Norm, when you go on these on these on these things. And I've seen other performers say, "Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to have you meet my wife." One, and they put the spotlight over, and they she stand up and take up a bow, bow. As if my wife could stand up. <laughs> she went to the same party I went to. Sounds like it's time to gather the eggs. I suppose that you may have noticed that, uh, I mean, after all, I don't know, spring chicken, chicken, speaking of eggs, I, but you might have noticed that uh, I, I'm not outside of the obvious shape that I'm in. I'm not in too bad a physical condition. And I don't do anything in particular to uh, keep myself in good shape other than make sure that every morning I have, have my tang. <laughs> I suppose there are a lot of you folks who get up in the morning and have a little glass of orange tang. But I make my own. I make it out of prunes. Orange tang is all right, but I kind of go for a little prune tang now and then.
because we don't know when we will die, we get to think of life as an inexhaustible well. Yet everything happens only a certain number of times, and a very small number. How many more times
Flat Black Plastic, MutinyRadio.fm.
clever hen. I had a little hen, the prettiest ever seen. She washed me the dishes and kept the whole house clean. She went to the mill just to fetch me some flour, and she brought it home again in less than an hour. She baked me my bread, and then she brewed my ale. She sat down by the fire and told many a fine tale. Hmm? I'd like to have a little hen like that, wouldn't you? <laughs> and here's a good one. Come out to play. Oh, boys and girls, come out to play at the closing of the day. Before the sun has gone to sleep, come with your playmates into the street. Come with a whistle, come with a call, come with a good will or not at all. Up the ladder and down the wall, a half penny roll will serve us all. That you might judiciously and expeditiously follow. We'll have a pudding and what we're going to say this evening. <laughs> and here's a very nice little song about Baby Dolly. Brother Wells read so beautifully in your hearings that Jesus concerned himself with two classes of hearers. Those that heard the word and did it were considered wise. Those that heard the word and didn't do it was considered foolish. And then Jesus climaxed this particular conversation with the words, the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Let me invite your attention to the text this evening standing on shaky ground. Standing on shaky ground. The floods are going to come. The winds are going to come. The rain are going to come. And they're going to beat upon your house from all sides. And the only home, the only house that's going to stand are going to be those on a solid foundation. What is about to happen? The rains are going to come. In tradition. And the beat upon your house from the top. be more appreciated if the progressive steps the are understood. Are going to blow. I noticed the other day that uh, a gentleman dressed in black precedes the parade. Uh, what is his position? Always in tradition. That man, many, many years ago, that man it was the, that, the man that went to, to ask permission to the kings. Because the king, they were in the, in the bull ring, no? And asked permission to, to to begin the gorilla and ask for the key of the gorillas where the bulls are are keeping. So you will see that they give him a, a, a big key and he goes to the gorillas where the bulls are keeping and give that key to the man that opens the the door of the gorillas. 
But that's only tradition. That's you can fight without him always. But that's a tradition. The, in, in Spanish, that the name is the alguacil. The first thing is the banderillero goes and tastes the bull. So the matador sees what kind of, of bull he has in front. In one second, the matador must think how is the bull and what kind of work he's going to make. Then he goes and work with the capote and you make, you must make veronicas, the, the first lances you make with that bull. After that, you make six or seven veronicas and if you are good, the applause is come or, or, or no. Then comes the picadors. The picadors is to, to prepare the bull to be, to be better on the muleta take away a little stronger because the, the, the bull when he's prey always goes up more and more stronger. So you must punish him. I don't know how many of you folks live in the California, Los Angeles area, but I, I happen to live in North, North Hollywood, California. And I was talking just so before I came on the stage, I was talking to my, one of my dogs daughters and uh she said daddy this morning we had a little shake i said well, what um you mean another earthquake she said it was just a little bitty one dad but unlike a big one of course when we speak of the big one we're referring back to the year ago this past february right after january <laughs> and you know as track <clears throat> excuse me as tragic as that earthquake w was, I couldn't help but be amu amused that evening when I was watching the news on television, TNV, you know. The reporters had their cameras and their microphones out on the street, and they were asking the lady and the gentleman on the street, what were you doing when the quake hit? come up with some pretty fancy answers from that one, you know. And I, well, it may come to some of you folks as quite a surprise, but it so happened that I was r romancing my wife at the time. I realized, madam, it was six o'clock in the morning. But when you reach my age and suddenly discover you're ready, you better take advantage of it. I, I, I was right in the middle of what I think I can safe, safely say was one of my greatest performances. <laughs> and that earthquake hit. and scared the heck out of me and darn near woke my wife up.
flat black plastic on Mutiny Radio. Thanks for listening. Please come back soon. Comfort man, tell me this riddle if you can. Do you know the answer? It's coal. Here's another. title of the book, Always the Young Strangers, from a poem, Broken Face Gargoyles, in the book, Smoke and Steel. All I can give you now is Broken Face Gargoyles. All I can give you now is a double gorilla head with two fish mouths and four eagle eyes hooked on a street wall. Spouting water and looking two ways to the ends of the street for the new people, the young strangers, coming, coming, always coming. It is early, I shall yet be footloose. A big unseen bell goes bong. Nuts come loose. Long woven bonds break from their folds and clutches. The mother saying while tugs and struggles in her womb say, my time too has come. When she says it is my time now. There is a tearing asunder of every last hold and bond. The violence of leaving the nine-month home to enter a second and vastly larger home. In the mother and the child, the crashes and explosions go on. A series leading to the final expulsion. Not till then can there be a birth certificate 
a name and a christening. A savage small mouth tugging at pink nipples. I was born a little after midnight, my mother told me. A Swedish midwife had been at hand early in the evening. She cut the umbilical cord, tended to the afterbirth, did her responsible duties and was praised for her skill. This was in a three-room frame house on 3rd Street, the second house east of the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad tracks in Galesburg, Illinois, January 6, 1878. Exactly 100 years earlier, on January 6, Thomas Lincoln, the father of Abraham Lincoln, was born, and the coincidences of these births don't mean a thing, except that the odd facts stick in the mind, even though they prove nothing. My father was a black Swede, his hair straight and black, his eyes black with a hint of brown, eyes rather deep set in the bone, and the skin crinkled with his smile or laugh. He was somewhat below medium height, weighing about 148, well-muscled, the skin of his chest showing a pale white against the grime when his collar was turned down. He was at the CBNQ blacksmith shop, rated as a helper. The year round, no vacations, leaving home at 6.45 in the morning, walking to arrive at the Q shop at 7, never late, mauling away at engine and car parts till 12 noon. He walked home, ate the noon dinner, walked back to the shop to begin to work at 1, and go on till the 6 o'clock whistle. Then he stood, sledge alongside Anvil, and walked home after his ten-hour day. His hands thick with calluses, he was strictly a horny-handed son of toil, you might say. It would take him ten or fifteen minutes to get the soot and grime off hands, face, and neck. He poured the cistern rainwater from a tin pail into a tin basin on a washstand. Twice throwing the used water into a tin pail on the floor before the final delicious rinsing at a third basin of the water that had run off the roof into the cistern. The calluses inside his hands were intricate with hollows and fissures. To dig out the black grit from the deep cracks took longer than any part of the washing. Even then there were black lines of smudge that failed to come out. Then came supper and often his favorite meat, pork chops fried well done. In late spring, summer, and early fall, he would often work in the garden till after dark, more than one night in October, picking tomatoes and digging potatoes by the light of a moon. In the colder months, he always found something to fix or improve in walls, floors, chairs, tables, the stove, the coal shed, the cistern, the pump. He liked to sew patches on his jeans, pants, or his work coat, having his own strong thread and large needle for replacing lost buttons. In those early years, he read a weekly paper from Chicago, Himlandet, the Swedish for homeland.
Regularly, he or the mother read aloud to each other and the children that night from the Swedish Bible. And the mother, young Clara Matilda Anderson, who had married my father, what was she like? She had fair hair between blonde and brown, the color of oat straw just before the sun tans it, eyes light blue, the skin white as fresh linen by candlelight, the mouth for smiling. She had ten smiles for us to one from our father. Her nose recessive retrousse not snub. Her full and rich white breasts, how can I forget them? Having seen the babies one by one, year on year, nursing at them. Having seen her leave the wash tub to take up a crying child and feed it and go back to the wash tub. She was five feet five inches in height, weighing perhaps 140, tireless muscles on her bones, tireless about her housework. She did the cooking, washing, sewing, bed-making, and house-cleaning for the family of nine persons as the children had come. At six o'clock in the morning, she was up to get breakfast for her man, later breakfast for the children, and meals for all again at noon and at evening. Always clothes to be patched, the boys sometimes wearing out a third seat of trousers and having the other kids hollering when the shirt tails stuck out. The letter in the post office for you. And as we got into long pants, the knees always needed patching. Playing marbles in the spring, wrestling and scuffling, we wore holes at the knees of pants, going bare at the knees till Mama patched them. That was always our name for her when we spoke to her or of her in the family circle. The father always called her Clara, spoken in Swedish as Clara. My father wrote no letters. He did no writing at all. He had never learned to write. When his father and mother died in Sweden, his schooling had only taught him to read and he earned some kind of a living as chore boy in a distillery. He became a teamster at the distillery, finally laying by enough money to buy steerage passage to America, to what he called the new country where there was a better chance. I am sure that while I was still in dresses, not yet in my first pair of pants, I used only Swedish words and sentences to tell what I was wanting. I would say, Jag vill ha vatten. I want a drink of water. Or, Jag är varm. I am warm. I said, Far. Before I learned the word father. And, Moor. Before I learned to say mother. The English words for things to eat and wear. Mjölk, 